the 12th episode of The Week with Roger, a conversation between analysts about all things telecom, media, and technology from Recon Analytics. I'm Don Kellogg, and with me as always is Roger Entner. How you doing, Roger? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. This week, we're talking with Dominique Lazansky. Dominique is an expert in internet policy, telecommunication standards, and cybersecurity policy. She's here to talk with us about internet standards adoption and the role big tech plays in that space. Dominique, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So recently, large tech companies like Google and Facebook uh, have come under increased scrutiny from alleged anti-competitive practices. But a lot of that attention is focused on the application layer. Can you talk a little bit about the distinction you've written about between the application layer and the network and how it's important to focus on how networks and protocols evolve when we're thinking about competition in tech? Yeah, sure. So a lot of discussion has been going on in the U.S. and Europe here where I am on uh, antitrust and big tech. But the connection between big tech and consolidation on the technical design side and the standard side, that link hasn't been made yet. And so I uh, put a draft paper into the Internet Engineering Task Force, which is the internet standardization body that's multi-stakeholder, meaning anyone can show up. It meets three times a year, but now it's meeting virtually three times a year. And basically, it's where all the internet technical protocols calls how the internet works, how data and communication happens on the internet. All of that is discussed and, and designed and um, created in the IETF. There'll be some acronyms, so I apologize. In any case, the draft that I have with my co-author, Mark McFadden, talks about how increasingly protocols that are being designed by companies at the IETF, like Google, Mozilla, Cloudflare, who you may have heard of that does content delivery, and a number of other big tech players is, is pushing all of the technology to the edge, right? And what does that mean? That means the internet is best efforts, it's decentralized, it's worked really, really well and survived this pandemic exceptionally well when all of us have been at home. And in my case, I'm locked down again, so I'm at home full-time now again. And that's because the traffic and, and the security issues and everything can move its way around the network if there's a problem. But what's happening with the development right now is in addition to, you know, data privacy, all the, you know, the market monopolization, all those discussions going on, there's a layer, a technical layer in which Google and, and those companies are actually also consolidating information, driving data about the internet and about technical things to basically their servers and their their cloud. So it's a lot of technical stuff, but hopefully we can break it down a little bit more. Sure. So the, the primary idea here is instead of you know, the anti-competitive behavior happening at the end user layer, like say, you know, Google taking over display or search advertising or being mm. kind of the dominant player at the for the end user. It's also the protocols that are happening in terms of how the internet functions, correct? Yes. And actually what's happening is they're basically taking over all of the layers, right? So, so they have access and they have sort of the ability to be the driving force and to be the one that is dealing with and, and developing and getting all the data from all those layers. 
And now one of the ways this is happening is through DNS, correct? So there's a new standard called DNS over HTTPS. Yeah, I can I can definitely talk about that. I, you might have seen some of it in the news over the last couple years. Basically, it's DNS, the domain name system, is the way that when we're on, you know, let's say we type in a website like my website, dominiclazanski.com, and and how that comes up to a user is it just appears and it's easy to remember that that URL. But from behind the scenes, what happens is it's actually a number, an IP address that needs to be translated into a website domain name. And how that happens is through the domain name system. So I type in my URL that I want to access, my, my personal site, and it, it goes and the domain name system, the server looks it up, your request gets looked up, translated, into the IP address where it, this is really basic, but where it effectively comes back to you and, and shows you the content or the website that you want. So the lookup call, right, is now being encrypted. And that's what DNS over HTTPS is. It's the encryption of that lookup. Originally, it was in plain text. Most of the internet still functions that way. It's, it's just clear text and everyone can see it. But here's the key difference. The DNS server sat with your internet service provider. Now, the domain name system lookup at the end of this encrypted call sits with, guess who? Google or Cloudflare. <laughs> so what's happening is your call is encrypted. But the actual uh, translation of that is, is no longer taking place where it used to. And Google is able, or Cloudflare, or any of the companies that run DNS servers, is able to see you know, where it's coming from and, and who it is. What this does prevent and what, what is trying to be prevented supposedly is, a, is an attack in the middle, right? Like a third party and, and somebody called it the proverbial evil coffee shop. Being able to see that you're calling, you're looking at Facebook, you're looking at my whatever, google.com. But why? Why does that matter? And so the thing is that the companies have, in particular Google and Mozilla, have been driving this effectively to, to push the data more to the edge. And so what's really interesting about this, and I think it's a, it's a discussion that needs to take place a little bit more, um, is that there is a conflation between encryption and privacy, right? So this traffic is encrypted for user privacy. However, encryption and privacy are not equal and not the same thing, right? The general user beyond us in the room will probably not know about the domain name system, right? They just know that they type in a website or type in search and they can find it. But what people do know, the ones that are developing this, is how to sort of change the architecture of the internet so that it works differently, supposedly faster, but, but the jury's out. And again, there's a lot of criticism about this online. The other thing I've heard about DNS over HTTPS is it impacts filtering, right? So, for oh. example, uh, I've got little kids. Let's say I wanted to put a filter on that allows that you know prevents bad sites from coming up. Is yep. uh, with an encrypted tunnel like that 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 disables a lot of filtering software. Is that correct? That is correct. So the simple way to filter content, and it's not just you filtering, you know, bad sites or, or alcohol-related sites for your kids, but it's also you know the UK here. Uh, a lot of the filtering that we do for um, um, illegal images of children and, and things like that are done through this. And it's DNS filtering, right? So it's easy to filter on the DNS level to block traffic. But also, you know, enterprise systems do that, right? 
So like, for example, um, a company, maybe a, a bank or whoever might not want the employees to access Facebook, you know, or Google or whatever during their workday. That's perfectly fine. And that's their company or enterprise policy. And they also do it that way. So yeah, it's, it's, the, the issue now around, especially around law enforcement with Interpol and Europol and a lot of those who've gotten involved with this discussion is how, how do we kind of do this filtering that, that needs to be done, right, for legal reasons and, of course, with a legal framework. Well, and historically, Google has not been as receptive to law enforcement requests or all of the big tech in general seems to be a little less willing to cooperate with law enforcement's actions in many circumstances. For example, when Apple didn't want to unlock iPhones, right? Exactly. For law enforcement in the U.S. Yeah. Yes. Also, doesn't it make everybody blind but the Googles, the Cloudflares, and doesn't that make create a, a huge amount of information asymmetry that can be used exactly by the people who are using this information to profit from it the most? Let's see. I want to read to you something that, that highlights that from the internet, from the actual draft, from the standard, actually, from the DOE standard. So this is, this is direct text from the draft. And, and remember, the authors of, or actually the standard, it's RFC 6265, which is the standard, which is what a standard's labeled in the IETF. So it says, determining whether or not a DOE implementation requires HTTP cookie, Support is particularly important because HTTP cookies are the primary state tracking mechanism in HTTP. HTTP cookies should not be accepted by DOE clients. So who wrote that? Google. Let me just repeat that again. HTTP cookies are the primary state tracking mechanism. To me, that, that is highly ironic, right, to have that in a draft written by a company like Google. Well, isn't, aren't cookies being phased out though? Isn't that's that's what everybody tells us, right? Like, is is the death of the cookie real, or is this some other way to track users or funnel data? I should say into the hands of uh, the likes of Google. Yeah. So so yes, because with the new, I think with the new version of Chrome, it's easier to be able to turn on and off third party tracking, right? But you still need certain cookies depending on the traffic. TLS may require, that's transport layer security, may also require a cookie. But again, yeah, it's pushing all of the data towards servers that are sat, you know, at the edge, like I said, with Google. So you're, you're right. <laughs> so in terms of how standards bodies operate, I know you mentioned that anybody can participate in how this kind of protocol or this process is designed. With relation to things like DNS over HTTPS, how do organizations, individuals influence standards development? You, you mentioned that Google's kind of deployed this standard or has been pushing for the standard. How does that interplay between kind of individuals versus large tech players work? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting question because um, I deal with international organizations like multilateral ones, like the, the UN for standards, and then I also do work in the IETF. So the IETF was founded by Bob Kahn and Vint Cerf effectively not long after they realized their TCP IP protocol was taking off. And because they realized they needed a more systematic place for people to gather to develop protocols and this is back in the you know the 90s and base early 90s and basically you know it's multi-stakeholder which means anybody shows up pays the fee to attend they can come and and put a draft in but increasingly 
fewer and fewer companies are paying for their employees, right, to do standards. It used to be a volunteer thing back in the, think about how messy it was back in the 90s with everything going on. And now it's like Google pays quite a lot of their employees to dedicate their time. And I'm picking on Google in particular, but I mean, it, it's true for a number of companies. You know, Comcast is there, Facebook, Apple, independent consultants like me, for example, who have an interest in certain things. So, you know, it runs the whole gamut. But basically, if, you're, if your organization is willing to give you um, time and money to, to dedicate to these things, then you're better able to go, right, and to deal with it. If you're a small company, you're going to worry about making things happen first before trying to standardize it. Although, you know, there's an approach to standardizing things that's also part of like a market access as well. And basically the companies who who are there and who are investing a lot of resources can gain a competitive advantage through standard setting, all in the guise of doing the right thing for everybody. Exactly. It's a standard after all, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a standard. We have to adopt it in whatever market, you know. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so do these governing bodies have any sort of approach in terms of how they measure consolidation of viewpoints or, or industry standards? Is, is this something that just kind of happens by virtue of these, these companies being able to kind of pay people to show up and influence the standards? Or, or is there kind of a, a little bit of, more of a pushback or a, a measurement of, of how much individual influence is coming from a specific player for a given standard? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. There's a, there's a governance issue, right, or a governance question in your, in your ask. So basically, I, I've actually counted, you know, where the most people are coming from, and it's predominantly like Google and, believe it or not, Huawei into the IETF. You should have me back to have a whole nother conversation about China standards. <laughs> but basically, there's a governing board called the Internet Architecture Board, loosely governing standards and how the Internet is developed. And effectively, the, the problem I think that we're seeing in the IETF, especially when I come in with a telecoms background, is the Snowden effect is still very real in a place like that. There's a very anti-ISP, anti-telco bias because of Snowden. Um, and ironically, even people from Huawei and Ericsson and companies like that are on the Internet Architecture Board. And yet, there's still very much, a, you know, it's better to have a company like Google managing your privacy and dealing with your data in the case of DOH than have your DNS server be sitting in the network of your ISP, which is kind of, it's kind of ridiculous if you think about it, right? Because there could be bad actors anywhere. But yeah, that's how it works. But there hasn't been a lot of pushback. There's been enough in the IETF. It's been really interesting, but there hasn't traditionally been a lot of pushback from varying different types of points of view that aren't pro-Snowden, I would say. Yeah. And, and coming back to standards overall, Huawei is also, and the Chinese companies are very active in the 5G standards, mm. for example. And it's the basic realization that if you write the rules of the game, your chances of winning are much, much bigger exactly. than if somebody writes the rules and you have to follow them. Exactly. I actually just wrote a paper about China in the UN, in the ITU, which is a multilateral telecoms organization for standards. And, and one thing that Huawei in particular is doing, and, and rightly so, is that they are participating in the three standardization bodies, the ITU, ISO, and IEC. And I apologize again for the acronyms. 
that basically what, what it is is they can get their standards through and adopted through WTO. So there's no blockage in WTO, and it's part of the, the international agreement of the WTO that these three particular multilateral standardization organizations are uh, globally accepted, which is a coup, effectively, and very smart, right, to think about it that way. So how involved are policymakers in creating these standards for, for the Internet? This is an amazing question, right? Because basically very, very little until even recently standards was sort of obscure and not well known. And, you know, there was the standards war for securing the Internet and the Internet architecture in the 80, late 80s and 90s. So there are very few policy uh, people engaged. Recently, there's been the Internet Society sort of hosts policymakers to the IETF when it meets in person, sort of as a, you know, two-day, like, here's what we do here kind of thing. But increasingly, you know, engineers have always said, oh, no, it's engineering. It has nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with politics. And obviously, you know, the dough issue and, the, and also China, which we just mentioned, is bringing up a lot more politics and policy into standards, and that includes, you know, industrial policy, innovation, what kind of policy do we want for trade? And I'm talking about all countries, right? You know, how do we want to engage in standards so that, you know, there's market access? It goes on and on from there, but I think there needs to be more realization from the internet architecture community that the politics of the internet is real and, and is actually happening now. It's no longer 1990, right? <laughs> it's actually a part of our everyday life. That's all we have time for. Thank you, Dominique. We'll definitely have you back to talk about uh, Huawei and its Chinese influence over uh, tech standards. Anytime. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs>